You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement. The pastor God has put over your life or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. The word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. 
As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whomever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now, go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your words. We thank you um, that we are able to heed the wisdom that is in them, that we are able to see the things that are true of you and your character and your nature. And Lord, I pray that you would also humble us to see the things that are true of us and our character and our nature apart from Christ. Would you help us to see that we are more like unfaithful Israel than we are unlike them. Lord, prepare our hearts to hear from your word this morning and bring about conviction and repentance. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Renaissance Church. My name is Joshua Page, and my wife and I have been partnered with Renaissance over our first year in Pittsburgh as we're working to start a new worshiping community down in the Greenfield, Hazelwood neighborhoods. Uh, today, I'm uh, preaching here in Exodus chapters 32 and 33, as uh, Renaissance has been working chapter by chapter uh, over the last uh, several months through this Old Testament book of Exodus. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have uh, three young boys. And let's just imagine that I wanted to bless my boys for Christmas. So my wife and I, we save up a bunch of money, and we go all out for Christmas. We buy them uh, some of the latest toys, the coolest electronics and, and the coolest Nerf guns. I know my oldest son, he loves Legos. Let's just say we buy him the, the coolest Lego sets that he's been setting his eyes on. And then for Christmas, after we open up all of the gifts, my wife and I, we step into the kitchen to make some breakfast. And while we're there, our, our son, he takes his Legos and he builds uh, a little Lego man. And then uh, while we're eating breakfast, uh, the grandparents come over. And of course, they want to see all the things that the boys got for Christmas. And so they ask our son, hey, what did you get for Christmas? And he says, oh, well, 
check this out. I got all of these toys that this Lego man gave to me. And then the whole rest of the day, he walks around and thank you, Lego man, for all the stuff that you gave me today. How would me as his father and his mother feel about the situation? Uh, we want to be good to them, but you know, it'd be nice if they would just appreciate the things that we gave them and return the goodness with love. This exact situation is what has happened here in the story in Exodus chapter 32, except on a much larger scale and in a much more offensive way. As we go through this text today, we'll do so in three stages. We'll talk about rebellion, we'll talk about wrath, we'll talk about reconciliation. And for each, I'll show how these events took place in this story here in Exodus. Now they're also repeated throughout the entire Bible. And I will connect them with us in our present day situation. The first point is the rebellion. These people had just been delivered from Egypt. Moses had went up on the mountain and he had brought down to them the first round of the law. And then Moses goes back up to the mountain to hear from God. And while he's there for a while, the people melt down some gold. And Aaron, the priest, carves the gold into this calf. And then the people say this in verse 4. They say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Instead of giving God the credit for the things that he had done, they worshiped this golden calf that they had just made. As if the calf had did the plagues. As if the calf had parted the seas. As if the calf had provided manna from the sky and water from the rock. This was a clear violation of the law that they just received. The first commandment said this, You shall have no other gods before me. And then the second commandment said this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And by the people worshiping the calf, this is grossly offensive. For us who live in the Western culture, many of us don't have little idols that we worship. Say most of you don't have a, a little golden object in your closet that you daily pull out and pray to and bow down to. If so, I encourage you to go home and get rid of that thing. There's more that's happening here in this story than just a calf. I think in some of these other ways we can relate to the story. The first thing that I see in this text that they did to rebel beyond just the calf was looking for someone or something to lead them instead of God. When Moses was delayed, they said this in verse 1, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses guy, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Hey, Moses has been out. Now we need something else, something else to lead us, something else to put our hope in. As if Moses was the one who had delivered them and not God. Let me ask you, 
Is your faith dependent more upon God or on a person? Maybe that person is a religious leader as it was here in this story. Maybe it's a pastor, a community group leader, someone who's discipling you. If that person lets you down, if they're no longer leading your specific community group, will you just give up? Maybe you're putting your hope in that politician. And if they're not in office on November 4th, you lose all hope. As if the God of the universe is still not in control. Another way we see in this passage that they rebelled is that they forgot where their blessings came from. Forgot where their blessings came from. Look at what it says in verse 2. Aaron tells him, he says, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. It seems obvious that everyone here is pierced. Where did they likely get all that jewelry from? Remember back to some of our previous stories. On their way out of Egypt, it says that they plundered the Egyptians. They went to all their neighbors and they asked for things and their neighbors freely gave it to them. God was generous to the Israelites. In chapter 25, we see when Moses is up on the mountain getting the law from God. He's giving Moses the instructions for how to build the tabernacle. He says, hey, I want you to collect an offering from the people, an offering of gold, silver, and bronze to build the tabernacle. He says, hey, you know the things that I provided for you? I want you to use some of that provision in worship of me. But instead, the people take those blessings and they shape them into an object to worship. It's the exact same thing as my son thanking the Lego man that he just made instead of me who gave him the Legos. Let me ask you, how often has God provided for us this enrollment in a school that you had hoped for? Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a house. And we turn our attention to the thing that God provided instead of him. Another way that the people rebelled is that in some weird way, God and his ways were woven into the worship of the golden calf. Look at what it says in verse 5. It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Anytime in the Old Testament, we see capital L-O-R-D. This is the Hebrew version of Yahweh. He says, hey, we're going to hold a feast to remember God. But the golden calf is right there at the center of all their worship. This is clearly breaking the third commandment, to not take the Lord's name in vain. It says they built an altar to this calf, and they gave burnt offerings and peace offerings. These were the two sacrifices that... Moses had just told the people that they should do in their worship to God. And so here in this event in Exodus 32, there's a semblance of God and God's ways. But instead of God being at the center, it's this golden calf. And there's many churches today 
Their practices are similar to the things of the Bible. They're preaching from the same book, but there's a gross distortion. Let me ask you, in what ways do you do religious things, but you twist them to put something other than God at the center? And then another huge act of rebellion was the total wickedness that came out of it. What it says in verse 6, it says, And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This word play is translated in some other versions as laugh. So what's going on here? The people just happy? As you see some of the other descriptions of what's going on, there's clearly more than just laughing. It says this in 17 and 18. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But Moses responded, is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound, the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And then he continues with this. And as soon as he came near to the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, there was much singing and dancing that was taking place. It was a, a party that was going on. And then he, he says this in verse 25. Listen to this description. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. It says the people broke loose. They were out of control. There was total chaos in the camp. And they were doing things that was even shameful to their enemies. And knowing some of the things that their enemies have done, that says a lot. And we're left to our imagination for the details of the things that is happening in the camp. But it's clear that there's total wild behavior. And then included in this rebellion was their religious leader. Aaron was left in charge while Moses went up on the mountain. He was supposed to be the holy priest to God. But he's at the center of the whole story. He gave into the pressures of the people and he made the calf himself. And then when he's called out for doing so, look at his response. Verse 24. He says, So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And I just threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Really? Is that really what happened? Because I, I think if I remember the story correctly, Aaron was the one that was carving it himself by hand. And these things remind me of what happened in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. God had provided generously. But Adam and Eve, they listened to the lies of the serpent. And the things that the serpent was telling them was not, well, God is false. Worship me instead. But he twisted the ways of God. Did, did God really say this? God really doesn't want what is best for you. And so they ate the fruit in clear disobedience to God's command. And Adam, who was appointed the spiritual leader in the relationship, when he's called out by God, what's his response? Oh, well, well, this woman that you gave me, she's the one who gave me the fruit. And then the woman turns around and blames the serpent. 
in Exodus chapter 32, God describes the people as a stiff-necked people. They're stubborn and rebellious. Moses says this later on in the book of Deuteronomy, before they cross into the promised land, they go over the Jordan. He says this, he says, if this is how you acted when I am with you, how much worse are you going to act when I'm gone? And as we read the stories in the book of Judges and the book of Kings, it's the same scene repeated over and over. The people of God forget God. They forget the things that he's done and they turn to false gods and twisted religious practices. They have corrupt religious leaders. Eventually they turn to wild wickedness. Today we're going to spend some time also looking at the book of Romans. And there Paul describes the same sequence of rebellion in the New Testament. Look at what he says here on your screen in Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 32. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, and evil and covetousness and malice. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, and foolish, and faithless, and heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Oh, church, and listen, most in our world don't have golden cows that they bow to. But our world is certainly in rebellion to God. 
We live in a society that celebrates personal freedom. Hey, listen, don't pose your morality on me. What if we all lived in this way? What if everyone followed their heart? If you just turn on the news, you'll see exactly what this looks like. We see it even in my own kids. Our hearts tell them to punch their little brother in the face. Our hearts tell them to skip dinner and just eat candy instead. Our hearts tell them to stay up all night long. When left to themselves, the result is total chaos. Problem is that our hearts are prone to wickedness. This is why Moses says later in Deuteronomy that in order for us to obey God, we need our hearts changed. Man, our, our world says, hey, I don't need God. I don't need religion. And they do so claiming freedom. But how does this actually look? Let's think back to the garden. There they, they step out from obeying God who had just blessed them with everything that they needed just to obey the evil one, the serpent, and they ate the fruit. See, the difference is that God was explicit in asking for their obedience, but the evil one, he gets them to obey them, but it's in deceitful ways. And the Bible says that we are all submitting to something what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? We are all submitting ourselves to something. And there's so many who disregard God, who reject his authority in their lives. They go and they worship the creation instead of the creator. They become slaves to their jobs, slaves to their school, slaves to their relationships, slaves to their addictions. And their lives end up looking like total chaos. And what's the result of this way of living? As we see in this passage, it's the wrath, the wrath of God. Now listen, it, it may be cute when my kid makes up some imaginary figure and goes around talking about him as if it's real, but it's not so cute when it's an adult. Let me speak to you guys out there. Let's just say that you've been uh, dating this girl for a long time. You love her and you want to spend the rest of your life with her. And so you save up some money. And you go and you buy a diamond ring. You get just the perfect moment and you drop down on your knee and you open that ring up and you ask her to marry you. And then she takes the ring, she puts it on her finger and she goes and runs over to some random guy and she hugs him and kisses him and thanks him for the ring and says that she's willing to marry him. How would you feel, guys, in that situation? You think you might be a little angry? Rightfully jealous? And the second commandment, God says that he 
is a jealous God. He is jealous for the love and the devotion of his creation. And when we as his creation cheat on him, he is rightfully angry. Look at what God says in Exodus 32 verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my, my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Oh, in the, in the garden, God was good. He gave Adam and Eve abundant provisions and he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. But they listened to the lies instead of God. And in Genesis 3, the wrath of God is described as these curses. Curses on nature around them. Curses in their relationship. Curses as separation between God and man. And here in Exodus 32, God has been good to the Israelites. He's given them blessings upon blessings. And Moses is gone for two seconds and they're making a new God. As we see in the story, they face the consequences. This almost humorous event of Moses making them drink the gold dust out of the water. Then something is not so humorous. He calls for those who are on God's side to come to him. And the Levites gather with their swords in hand. It says that they go through the camp and they kill 3,000 people. And it doesn't give us the details of who they killed, but I get the impression that it's not just anyone, but those who were out of control. Then at the end of 32, it says that there's a plague that goes through the camp. And later, we see that the people are banned from the promised land because of their rebelliousness. And I ask for you to consider the consequences in your own life. Oh, you, you go to that wild party and, and no doubt it is fun. I spent some years of my life living like that every Friday or Saturday night. But you wake up from that feeling the emptiness in your soul. It's not hard to see the long-term results of that lifestyle. But what about the person with the addiction? Oh, you feel free in the moment. But when the pleasure subsides, you know that that addiction is destroying you. I know personally several people that are in prison for the things that their addictions led them to. What about uh, those who give their life to their job or to their school? Sure, they, they achieve success and status that is good. They always need more money, more success. 
And when they don't get that deal, they don't get that promotion, they lose their job, they're left feeling empty. Think about the celebrities that we see. They seem to have it all. So many end up taking their own life because they put their hope in things that don't last. Just last weekend, my wife and I, we traveled back to Louisville to our sending church. We heard about some friends of ours, how the husband pursuing sexual freedom, he had an affair. He destroyed his family. And now there's a single mom raising her kids. And this dude is avoiding his friends at church altogether. Listen, when we brush aside God and his commands, we think that we are free, but actually we're just pursuing death. What Paul says, he continues in Romans 6, he says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Do whatever you want. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Jesus Christ said it this way. He says the evil one has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. But the results of our rebellion is not only destruction now, but we face God's wrath in the afterlife. And listen, I know these are hard words, but what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. He says, Because of your stubborn and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will be given eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And the case that Paul is making in Romans 1, 2, and 3 is that this is all of us. Romans chapter 1, he's specifically talking about those who are worshiping creation and living in wickedness. But then in Romans 2, he turns to the Jews, those who were the religious. He says, hey, you're judging others for living wickedly, but you yourself are doing the exact same thing that you're judging others for. And then in chapter 3, he rolls off this long list of accusations. He says, no one is righteous. All have turned aside. No one does good. No one rightly seeks God. And he sums it up. He says, all have rebelled and fall short of God's perfection. Listen, we are all like Israel in the wilderness. And we are all under God's wrath and I know these things are heavy but the Bible doesn't leave us in this place of wrath 
Exodus 32, the story speaks of reconciliation in far more verses than the rebellion. The relationship is restored. And while Moses and Joshua up on the mountain, the people are down partying and they don't even know that they have offended God. And yet in that moment, Moses steps in to save them. Look at what it says in Exodus 32 verses 11 through 14. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, just to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit the earth. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on the people. And then after the Levites go through the camp and kill 3,000, the people are there in their brokenness. And Moses looks on their helplessness. And once again, he stands in the gap between God and his people. And he says these words in verse 30. And the next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. This word uh, atonement means to appease God's wrath, to bring reconciliation to the relationship. Oh, and, and the good news, the gospel that we believe is that in the New Testament, Jesus does the exact same thing. He steps into the gap between us and God for all time. Paul continues his argument this way in Romans chapter 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I think you keep this verse on the screen. I know there's a lot of big words there in those couple verses. It says that we are justified. We are, though we are thought guilty, we are declared right by God's gift of grace. It says that there is redemption. This is the idea that Jesus buys us back. And then it says that God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. That Jesus is the appeasing sacrifice. Oh, and just like in the Old Testament tabernacle, when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the temple for their atonement, 
So when Jesus died on the cross, his blood is sprinkled on our hearts so that we can be clean from an evil conscience. And when Jesus rose from the dead so that we too can be raised to a new life. And Paul goes on to say this in Romans chapter 8. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the good news doesn't stop there. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses pleads with God again for the people. Not just to hold back God's wrath, but to bring God's blessing. What he says in 33, starting in verse 12. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have all found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And consider, too, that this nation is your people. Oh, and that's true. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses begs God to go with them even though they were a stubborn, rebellious people. And God promises his presence. And he promises them rest. Because God is faithful to his promises. Not because the people deserve it, but because of his goodness. And just like our rebellion brings death in the afterlife, and also death and chaos in our life now. So Jesus came to give eternal life, but also life abundantly now. And I cannot promise you that if you follow God, that your life will be perfect. But Jesus promises to send his spirit, his presence within us, to comfort us and to encourage us and to help us in our weakness. And it is the Spirit of God himself that changes our hearts so that we will obey God. And listen, though the world may be chaos around you, it promises rest for your souls. Rest, no matter what happens, with the work that you do. Rest no matter what politician is in office. Rest no matter what brokenness you experience in your relationships. But listen, this only happens when our hope is set firm in the creator and not in the creation. So what should we do? How do we get this gift and all this goodness that God is ready to offer? Well, Paul says this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus up from the dead, you too can be saved. 
And today I call on you to confess your rebellion and to confess that you rightfully deserve God's wrath. But confess that Jesus is your Savior. And by faith, receive the promise of his presence. And by faith, receive rest. And by faith, receive eternal life. And then what's next for us who are followers of Jesus? In the book of Romans, starting in chapter 12 to the end of the book, he explains just that. I encourage you this week to read those chapters. But he starts with this phrase in Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. He says, The more that you spend time in his word, the more you will know how to do his will. And if you talk to anyone who's been a follower of Jesus for any time, they will tell you that even if some of God's ways are hard and opposed to what your heart tells you to do, they will bring order to your life and they will bring blessings. Remember, our God is a good father. And he, he wants to, to bless you abundantly. He wants your, your relationships and your work and your worship to be satisfying. But he demands that you flee from the lies of the evil one and that you do it his way. And he asks that you're thankful to him for his blessings and you use them to bring him glory. Let us pray. Oh God, I confess that I am a rebel. Man, my heart tells me so many lies. And God, I, I listen to those lies.